What's going on, guys? This is Andrew Bass, and you're listening to Talk Is Bass. Hello, guys, and welcome back to Talk Is Bass. Today's show, we're going to be talking about the hit Netflix TV show, The Witcher, which has been downloaded by a vast majority of people on Netflix. It's actually rising to be one of the more popular shows um, right up there with Lucifer. Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll wait. (laughs) Okay. We'll start that over. (laughs) Why? What happened? Was I supposed to chime in? I, I thought I lobbed it over to you but i guess i didn't sorry i was waiting for a question <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll, I'll phrase it as a question okay my bad <clears throat> hello guys and welcome back to talk is best today's show we're going to be talking about the hit netflix show witcher um which is uh slowly becoming one of the best shows on Netflix up there with Lucifer. So, um, Alec, uh, what did you think of Witcher? I thought, um, well, I have complex thoughts about the Witcher, my friend, Andrew. I have complex thoughts this evening. Well, we love to hear them. I mean, uh, uh, just a a fair warning. If anybody here has not watched the Witcher, um, this show is basically going to be spoilers for you. So, um, if you haven't watched Witcher, Witcher yet, um, you know, turn it off Twitter and then come back and you can watch mm-hmm. the show. Turn off the show. <laughs> so right now I'm giving you guys a 10 second courtesy to switch off before the uh, spoilers commence. Spoilers are coming. <laughs> and for those of you that have stuck around to this point, we're going to get into the Witcher. Let's do it. <laughs> so, uh, so basically, uh, Witcher, um, it, 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 I don't know. Like, I, I couldn't really explain whether or not it um, in, encompassed more or less the books as uh, instead of the game. I felt like it was more of a happy medium between the two. What do you think? Um, yeah, well, I definitely – I didn't read this one. Um, for those of you who don't know, the Witcher novels actually begin with two books of short stories, and then the novel Blood of Elves is the first – feature i shouldn't say feature but it's the first witcher novel which then continues into about i think maybe uh four additional novels could even be five actually for a total of six but um but the first season of witcher was very much the first book of short stories um but i do um i was watching it with a fellow who read the short stories and was frustrated in the short stories that Geralt always chose to be diplomatic and as such, we never um, got to see him fight and was pleasantly surprised by the Butcher of Blaviken se- um, sequence in the first episode. Um, so, yeah, I definitely agree. It seems to draw heavily from the books, but in terms of um, the action and the way Cavill portrays the character, we see a lot of faithfulness to the video games as well. So I agree it's a happy medium. And I think those are the areas where um, the show really hits each um, in the overall plot, it's the books, but in the in in a lot of the action and acting, we see more of the games. I, I mean, I 
to be completely honest, I was completely blown away by that first fight scene. I remember oh, I, I was beautiful. like a good five <laughs> episodes in before you even considered watching the show, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> and I remember telling you, man, that first fight scene is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. Well, for those of us who played the video game, he's constantly called the Butcher of Blaviken. So there was two factors at work in this first episode for me. One was that he arrives in the town of Blaviken. So I played this game and I loved this game and I loved this character and I wanted to know more. And one of the mysteries that's never answered in the game is Butcher of Blaviken. Oh, look, it's Geralt, the Butcher of Blaviken. So in the first episode of the show, he arrives in Blaviken. Already I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. (laughs) You know, like... Like, you know, that was the first um, layer to it was that I was excited to see what happens. And then the second layer, of course, was when it finally came to the slaughter. It was so beautifully choreographed. Like, it's amazing. It was just one shot and it's him killing like seven or eight guys without them even getting a lick in on him. So it's a really fast, abrupt sequence. But I've watched it three times over and, and been unable to look away. What was it particularly about the scene that uh, drew so much attention? Like, cause we heard, we've heard coming into this, that it was going to be the new game of Thrones. And I, I honestly don't like comparing it to game of Thrones, Yeah, but um, they did say the action was better than anything you saw on game of Thrones. It, it, is there a reason why this fight scene <laughs> was just so spectacular that it kind of blew our minds? I think that, um, So I think that on Game of Thrones, we saw good fight choreography at many points, but the focus in Game of Thrones was very much on on, um, CGI graphics and developing great sets and costuming the characters and dialogue and dragons and armies and battles and sex. Um, you know, I feel like those were like the focal points of Game of Thrones. It was it basically Game of Thrones was a high budget fantasy, much like Lord of the Rings. It was trying to give you that atmosphere of being extremely high budget and extremely real and extremely immersive. It wasn't really about fighting. But The Witcher, I think, which is I don't want to call it low budget fantasy, um, but I feel like lower budget fantasy in a way could be kind of its own genre. Like remember the fantasy movies that would come out before Lord of the Rings, you know, made it, made it like big budget box office, huge IMAX camera shots. You know what I'm saying? We, we just had, we just had like fun little fantasy films before that. Right. And I feel like this was more akin to that, except it did have a, a decent budget and it had a very passionate actor who just, You know, anyway, to tie it back to the fight scene, for one thing, they nailed how the character fights. Like, Mm -hmm. I recognized him from the game. And for another thing, like, it it, it was just seamless. Like, he straight up, like, really close to the camera, turns and backwards slices a dude's head off. And it looks completely real. Like, it was raw. It was gritty. And it was was masterful. It It was literally The Witcher. It was exactly what we pictured. Yeah, absolutely. You know, for me, I liked the usage of power in, in mm-hmm. that fight scene. Like, yeah. there was just a nice, subtle arm where he pushes them away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't over the top. It wasn't too small not to notice. It was the right amount of detail. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, 
Yeah, and I think that that was really refreshing because in the game, you know, we're used to like blacking out the screen and going to our, you know, our sign um, compass every time we want to use one, right? So him just like whipping one out and like seeing it, how it would look in real life was super cool. Absolutely. Um, (laughs) You know, the other thing I like about that fight scene, though, is I love the choreography (laughs) in there. It felt like almost as if they were dancing. Yes. At some point. Absolutely. I absolutely um, agree. Yeah. With with the the fight scene, um, they took a really um, important aspect from the game. I don't think a lot of people take this into consideration because I've heard people talk about like how confused they were of how it seemed like it was really hard to choose which side was good and which side was bad. Right. Because, you know, mm-hmm. just to give people context, if you haven't seen the first episode, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Don't um, if you if you have um, seen the first episode, you know what we're talking about. Essentially, Geralt arrives in um, Blaviken and he's basically um, brought on to a case where he's told he has to assassinate somebody. And he's mm-hmm. hesitant for it because he only wants to assassinate monsters people who deserved it and um you know he goes on and on about how evil she is and he actually meets her and they they share a romantic moment but at the same time she betrays him yep so we don't have this clear idea of who the bad guy is and who isn't and as we're going through this fight scene and as it's ending we have this idea that um you know she whispers to him you know, uh-huh. basically that you'll never know if you made the right decision, you know? Yep. 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 Yeah. And like, I think that, um, for, um, y- you know, Witcher neutrality is so like engraved into this mythology, whether it's books or games, like in the books, he's like a frustratingly neutral being who just sticks to his job, sticks to the hunting of monsters and the pursuit of coin and making his own living outside the world of man because the world of man will never accept him which is one thing that really comes across in that episode after the slaughter the whole town gangs up on him blames him for everything and drives him out under the um you know influence of that corrupt sorcerer that he called out and put a sword to his throat um that's that that's what happens to the witcher and that's very much a presence in the books and the show and the games take it a step farther because obviously in role-playing games it's 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 very trendy these days for you to kind of invent the character and make them moral or immoral or light side or dark side. So, you know, you really get to, you know, you really get to play with who Geralt is in um, the game and decide whether or not he's a hero or a villain, you know? I, and I think they kind of take um, my um, play style through um, this game because Geralt, is a very level-headed character. Like he does yep. have his anger fits. Mm-hmm. Um, he does have his his moments where he's confused. But overall, he likes to <laughs> do what's right. Yep, absolutely. And there we was see a... that several times throughout the series. Absolutely. One of my favorite examples, if we could jump ahead a little bit, is in the dragon episode. Um, so like when that um, beast comes out of the bushes and just stands in front of them. And that jackass just runs up to it and just slaughters it for no reason. First of all, I was waiting for that jerk jerk off to die. 
because mm-hmm. I was like, all right, you suck. And you're obviously, I know television at this point in my life. So you're obviously going to be dead in the next scene anyway. But, but Geralt says, if we'd fed the creature, it would have left. Like, like, despite the fact that he's a witcher and he's pumping with the, you know, the serums of, of witches and monsters and, and all these powers and is supposedly inhuman, he actually acts more human than many of the, you know, stereotypical, you know, men and women. I shouldn't say stereotypical. I should say the cultured men and women of these societies. You know, he he's, you know, he comes across more human in a way because he doesn't he doesn't court violence. He just falls into it often because that's his trade. Right. So let's let's talk about like the detail of the show itself, right? Mm-hmm. So we have this nice, beautiful show that's put together, and we have a nice cast. What do you think of the cast? Um, I think Cavill is perfect. I I was amazed at how um, at how flawlessly he portrayed Gerald, both in appearance and in um, um, demeanor. I thought he was absolutely brilliant, and I have a certain image of Gerald based on the video game, where he kind of has that kind of gruff, you know, um, you know, kind of that little gruff, raspy voice sort of thing going there. And Cavill, you know, he has that accent. So I remember thinking in the beginning, I wonder how he's going to pull it off. But he 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 pulls it off convincingly. You can tell that he's just so passionate about this character. I felt like Geralt literally came to life on screen. And I was so happy about that. Out After him, um, I think the other performers are decent. I think that they're good and they take their characters very seriously. And there's a lot of subtle nuances to a lot of them. I thought, um, see, the, the, the thing about this series is that you mentioned the other cast members, but really when the thing with Witcher is that it's not like an ensemble cast the way Game of Thrones is, where you have like these 12 equivalent interesting characters. Really, it's about a much smaller core group of characters and then, you know, smaller characters surrounding them. And the only other two major characters that are really involved in the season would be Yennefer and Ciri. Um, uh, the, the girl who played Ciri, I can't remember her name, unfortunately. She was good. Um, you know, I don't think she was bad by any means. I also didn't think that she was particularly um, fantastic. Well, actually, I won't say that she wasn't, you know, because she does convey strong emotion. I don't know how right she was for the character in my eyes. Um, I picture Siri a little bit differently than, than they did. Yennefer, I thought was pretty darn good. And I thought it was very interesting. We got to see her roots and she got to play, you know, a, um, you know, a disabled version of Yennefer that we never see in, um, in the rest of the lore, really. Well, you know, what's funny is when I first watched that and I saw that she played a disabled character at first, Uh my first thought was, this is not Yennefer. And, Uh I had it's been so long since I played the game right Mm -hmm. and one of the first things I did when I finished um the show is I went on and I reloaded Witcher and I hit new game right and as they're going through like the little opening (laughs) sequence one of the things they do is they show witches yes and one of the things that's happening with the witches is you see the transformation happening where you see Yennefer become yes. beautiful. Yes. It's a quick scene. And if you miss it, you won't 
you noticed what you saw. But right. After watching the show, I connected what I saw in the game. Right. And it's like they don't tell you exactly what's going on or that they used to be one way and then became another. They show it to you in like a quick snippet, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that happens a lot with visual art. Sometimes um, they're only they'll only have time to just toss in this little image that's meant to show you something. And like you said, if you miss it, you're done. But yeah, no, I thought they handled that very well in the show. I thought she was definitely the most interesting character besides um, Geralt. Speaking of which, you commented on this one day. The whole final episode was about her. Yeah, yeah. Geralt was <laughs> really nowhere to be found in, in the uh, final episode. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, I don't know how I felt about that personally. I think my position still changed or not changed. Mm-hmm. I still think that they could have included Geralt a little bit more. Yeah, that was a surprise for sure. Um, but, you know, before we get too far into that, and I know we're going to get into that a little bit later, you know, I, I do want to stress a little bit more on the cast. Like, um, you know, we had Yennefer, you had Sarah, you had Geralt. Uh-huh. Um, but the other person I think deserves recognition is um, Dandelion. And, of course, he's not called yes. Dandelion in the show. Right, right. But he really is Dandelion. And, oh, yeah. You know, double check to make sure. But mm-hmm. like um, in in the books, he's he's um, called um, he's called what he is in the, in the show. I can't. Yeah, I, I, I honestly can't even remember what they called him. I just I just kind of took to calling him that guy. But he's he's Dandelion essentially. Because <laughs> yeah. that's the thing that was driving me crazy. Because like I play the game first, not the books. And yeah. the the game um, names him something differently. The name Dandelion. Well, Even actually, it's not his actual name. Well, actually, in the first novel, remember I said that it starts with two short story books and then it goes into the novels. Mm-hmm. Um, the novel actually does call him Dandelion. So I feel like after this arc, you know, which is the short stories and how Geralt met this person and all that, I think that he acquires the name Dandelion down the road. Right. Right, right now we're seeing him at his origins. You know, where he's basically like, you know, Tom or whatever his name is, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, you kind of see him go from like a pointless bard to being the yes. bard of Geralt of Rivia. Yes. Um, which I think is definitely a chemistry that I thought was working for the show. Mm-hmm. I thought that he needed that little bit of comic relief. Yeah. And um, it, I really humanized Geralt to look after him. Yeah. And, you know, I was happy. Me personally, one of the things that always got me in um, the game was how on earth are these two friends? Uh, like when you go to Novigrad and Dandelion is like one of his old chums, I'm just like, how the heck did this happen exactly? They're like polar opposite people from two completely different lifestyles. I'm like, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. But on the show, when you see, you know, how they first meet and how he starts following them around and the circumstances they fall into, now their friendship makes more sense to me because of the show. Well, I mean, he had that yeah. ability to um, give him what the Witcher wants. Yes. Which the Witcher wants is to be respected and to, um, you know, yeah, you know, be accepted by other people. Yes. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, um, I don't know. It's like I, I really did dig his performance and I think it would be. Well, no, I think that you're. you're... I think you're absolutely right, because if this show were just about Geralt, just, you know, wandering the woods, killing monsters and scowling at the camera, nobody would be able to relate to him. 
But because, you know, Dandelion comes in and, you know, humanizes him, he tries to get to know him, you know, he annoys him, but Geralt doesn't get rid of him because he likes the company, he likes the respect, like you're saying, those are relatable qualities. It brings out the Witcher's relatable qualities. Um, and that makes us, you know, connect with him more as a character. So you're absolutely right. It's a very important um, re- um, dynamic between those two. Yeah, and like I said, I, 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 like he's not one of the first people you recognize. Like you said, you called him that guy for a while, and so uh-huh. like, I completely forgot what they call him in, in the show. Mm-hmm. It's like I think it's like y- Yasker or something like that. Yeah, but it, his real name is Dandelion. That's that's the mm-hmm. way I, I, I know yeah. him. I call him Dandelion. Yeah, that's who but, that's who it is. <laughs> but I mean, it's that performance that um, I think should go, mm-hmm. um, you know, recognized. Yeah, because it's something that sort of slides under the table. Yeah, because absolutely, the first thing you when you hear The Witcher right now is the song. You know, talks. Well, about I was I was just about to call you out on that. You're absolutely right about the performance, but a part of you is saying this because you love that song. I do love that song. <laughs> I, think it, I think it's very well done. But it's no, a very good I, song. Yeah, I I really liked his character because it provided that comic relief. Absolutely, and for me, I think it was yeah. necessary because. There oh, wasn't yeah. really a comic relief between Geralt and Yennefer. No, no, no. And, and go ahead. Well, um, one of the first things you read in the Witcher game when you're going into the journals and reading about, you know, what kind of game you're going to play is that in this world, life for pretty much everybody is brutal and short. Most people die because they wander into the woods and come across a monster. And that's why people need Witchers. But everybody hates witchers because they're monsters, too. I mean, Mm. this is a grim setup. So you're spot on about how important this comic relief character is. We very much need some relief now and then in this setting. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, the the idea with him, though, is uh, you have this idea where, um, where, like I said, you don't have that relationship with Yennefer. Mm -hmm. But Yennefer is one of those characters which... It, it walks a very fine line. Oh, yeah. I feel like many of us love Yennefer and at the same time really hate her mm-hmm. because the, her and Geralt really don't belong together. Right. And I yeah. think many video game fans would probably agree with that mm-hmm. because the two of them really don't have much in common. Yeah. They're bound together by this wish, mm-hmm. which, which, you know, even in the show comes across as very sudden. Yeah. And you don't understand why he makes the wish. Yep. Um, and that's the way it was always meant to be written. Right. You know, Absolutely. it's just one of those things where you, you look at that concept and you're trying to figure out what the writing's all about. But when you have two polar opposites like that, you need somebody to chime in and be that um, sort of light that, you know, takes your mind off of that relationship because without Dandelion, yeah, and that's what I'm going to keep calling him. Um, um, without Dandelion, I honestly feel like the show could fail between right. Geralt and Yennefer because sure. people are going to be so uninterested sure. with that re- dynamic that Absolutely. they turned off to it. No, I agree. I agree. And you you um, brought something else to my attention, but I'm going to let you ask all your questions before I venture no, no, off to a whole other topic. <laughs> well, I, ju- I feel like this is a show um, that – is go is has is good but this was like a pilot season like this is like this is a show 
And not all shows are like this, but this is a show that is going to take off in its second season. Like we basically got the blueprint for it in this first season. What we're waiting for is to see what they do with it next. Well, I mean, let's like I said, I thought that, you know, it was a blueprint season and it's like, all right, well now he's found Siri. Now the real season can begin. Yes. But, um, it, they took a lot of chances with the storytelling. Yeah. Um, they told it in a way that um, if you didn't pay attention, you really had to go back and watch really, it. really pay attention. Cause like, we're talking, we're talking zero indication. Like you're no... talking episode five, the, the style is actually revealed. Yeah. Because up until episode five, you think that everything is being told in order at that, at that time. Yeah. Linearly. When in when in reality, everything yeah. we see with Geralt <laughs> happens well before the opening moments with the um with Siri and her yeah. family being attacked. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, the yeah the, the queen shows up in episode four, and I'm like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, he died. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, so, and it takes it's so hard for a show to confuse me because I obsess over stories that I like and I absorb every detail, and it's really hard to throw me off. They threw me off big time. I was like, what the hell is happening right now? And like I said, I, I think it's taking a risk to tell it that way. But I'm glad they told it that way. And I'll tell you right. why. Okay. And I think that they they um, told it right that way because I felt like it really, um, it really allowed you to move Geralt's character along. I yeah. don't think that if you introduced him um, as he was by episode five, people wouldn't understand why he was that way. Absolutely. Because he was definitely a lot more lighthearted than he was in the opening moments where he was alone, where he didn't have anyone to count on. He actually, because of his experience with Dandelion, became a better person. Yes. And that's displayed in episode five when things also come together. Yep. And everyone's wondering... Your, uh, what that line was in the end of episode one where she's dying, the, you know, the, um, the, character, the character he fought. And yep. she goes, your destiny is with the, the girl in the woods. Yep. And Geralt for years did not understand what that meant. Right. And as soon as he, um, as soon as he opens his mouth and takes the law of surprise, he realizes that he just stepped into it. Yep. Yep. So, I mean, for me, I think that taking the risk in this in this instance benefits them because absolutely it makes people want to go back and rewatch the show. Yep, I want to rewatch the show. I've seen the first. I've I've watched it through once, and I've seen the first episode uh, like three three times over. But I, I want to watch the whole thing over again, just for fun. I think it's just that style; it draws people yeah, in. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, we're running on about 30 minutes now. So what I would like to do is I would like to take a uh, short break and um, I would like to talk to you guys about my new over the top um, segment over the top rope um, where I talk to you guys about this week in wrestling, where I'll be talking about the Royal Rumble, Worlds Collide and sort of um, Monday Night Raw afterwards. A lot of big things happened and uh, you guys want to stay tuned for that. But when we uh, come back, Alec and I are going to be talking more Witcher. Um, I think we're going to be talking about season two and what direction the show should take. What can we, what can we expect? And um, 
after that, I think Alec will um, go back into the hot seat for the first time in a few weeks. Oh, boy. And welcome back to Over the Top Rope, the segment in which we talk about what is awesome in professional wrestling. This week, I wanted to cover the Royal Rumble and Worlds Collide and uh, subsequent events that followed uh, in WWE. Uh, this past Royal Rumble pay-per-view in my eyes was one of the company's overwhelming successes in many ways. One of which was that the matches had great storytelling start to finish. Becky versus Asuka, for example, that was um, a awesome encounter where she was the last person Becky had to beat. Um, it sets up this um, idea that she's beaten everybody. I think this is the mark that sets up um, Becky versus Ronda. And um, I think that it's even more interesting that if they don't put uh, Becky and Ronda in for that rematch, that we could potentially see Shayna Baszler versus Becky for the first time ever, which in my eyes is definitely more, much more exciting of a prospect. Uh, the other thing that um, I think the Royal Rumble did was it, um, it put the Fiend over in a great way. Um, they had an epic match between The Fiend and Daniel Bryant. Um, it was a strap match, the first time in, that we had a strap match in a decade. And it, I think that this story that they pushed here proves that WWE can still do old school matches if they let wrestlers do their thing, so to speak. Daniel Bryant versus The Fiend, I could rewatch all day. Um, they did away with the Red Floodlights. Uh, during the match, which has been something that's been following The Fiend since he's debuted. And um, it kind of refreshes the experience in my eye. I feel like um, without the red lights, um, people are allowed to focus on the wrestling more. It's not as distracting for the performers, not as distracting for the fans. There's nothing really to complain about. You just see the action. And I think, um, especially with uh, The Fiend and Daniel Bryan's case, it really added to the story. You had this uh, moment where Daniel Bryant was winning and you thought for sure he was going to take the title home. And uh, of course the fiend in great fashion kicks out of more than one running knee and he gets up and starts slashing him with the, uh, the strap and does nothing, which, you know, it further promotes that idea that the fiend is this monster that can't be stopped. And, of course, The Fiend wins in the end with a mandible claw slam, um, putting Daniel Bryan out. And um, I, I really like to see where they're going to go with The Fiend, who uh, challenges The Fiend. Um, definitely with Drew McIntyre winning the Royal Rumble, as we're going to get to later on. Um, you know where he's going to go is Brock Lesnar, which is further um, shown at, on an episode of Monday Night Raw the night after. Um, but I, I totally would love to see The Fiend uh, continue his feud with Daniel Bryan into next month, um, if not WrestleMania. Um, the only other match that I think that we could see uh, for WrestleMania is Roman Reigns versus The Fiend once he's done with Baron Corbin. Um, from there, uh, really anything could happen. You know, Roman Reigns has been out of the title picture for years now um, since he had to drop the title uh, because of leukemia. Um it could be a nice little welcome home for him to face the fiend and be the one to dethrone him at the show of all shows. In terms of the women's Royal rumble, um, I think that it did a few things for the, for the whole overall spectacle. 
it continued to indu- uh, introduce Shayna Baszler as an unstoppable force. Shayna Baszler comes out as number 30 in the Women's Royal Rumble, pretty much eliminates everybody in the ring until she gets eliminated herself. Um, I'm still a little sore about that. I picked Shayna Baszler to win. I really think that they should have had Shayna win instead of Charlotte. But at the same time, after you know a few days to sort of ponder it over and to think about it, um, Charlotte Flair has been neglected. She has been neglected very badly over the past year or so. Um, people have sort of forgot about her. And, um, you know, she turned face, which um, everyone knows a flair is better as a heel. Um, Charlotte is no exception. Her calling is being a heel. I don't see her as a face. Similar to the fact that I don't see Randy Orton as a face. He is a natural heel. So it. I feel like a Royal Rumble win where she did beat Shayna Baszler in the Royal Rumble and eliminated her to go on to WrestleMania. It redeemed Charlotte Flair. It took her out of that limbo she was in and gave her the edge to take back what she lost. Um, they can reinforce this by turning her heel again and have her challenge Bailey and or, and or Lacey Evans at WrestleMania. Um, after watching Friday night SmackDown yesterday, um, I, I don't think Lacey will be in the main event at WrestleMania. Um, when I wrote my notes down, I totally thought that maybe they might have a triple threat at WrestleMania. I would have loved to see it, but, um, if I had to pick between, uh, Charlotte going up against Becky again, or Charlotte going up against Bailey, I feel like Charlotte versus Bailey has the most potential. Um, I don't think Bailey as a heel is working. As much as everybody wanted it to happen, it happened. But she's really, really not a good heel. Whenever she's on TV, I, I, I just can't stand her matches. I, I don't stand the personality. Um, I think it might be time for a change for her to go back to the way that she was. And what better way to introduce that than have Charlotte Flair um, come in as the bigger heel and put um, Bailey over? That's just one thought. Or they could continue to let Bailey be heel. Um, I, I definitely think if they do do that, n- not knocking Bailey at all, but I, I think that they really need to up the writing for her and do something to get her over because I just don't think that she's over right now. Um, in terms of the men's battle royal, uh, I think it had the best storytelling of the night. And um, I was sitting next to my sister who trashed the Royal Rumble um, at the start because Brock dominated the first half of the match. We all knew Brock Lesnar was going to dominate the first half of the match. Um, You know, is this good storytelling? Absolutely. My sister was confused when I said this, but um, the reason why I say it's good storytelling is because whenever Brock Lesnar is on TV, love him or hate him, you guys love to watch him. He's an attraction. He's a once in a lifetime uh, thing. He only comes around, um, you know, with limited shows. So whenever you see him, it means something. Whenever you see Brock Lesnar come out, everybody loves to cheer. Everybody loves to boo. Um, Brock Lesnar dominating the match, eliminating 13 people before he gets eliminated himself by Drew McIntyre. Um, All it does is hype Brock up to be this unstoppable force that we already know he is, that he still can be, 
Um, I think it was 100% needed after Seth Rollins beat him. I I personally don't think Seth Rollins beating Brock Lesnar was the best business decision, um, especially now that you turned him heel. Um, I think it went nowhere, and that's why they turned him heel. Um, but I think if what they needed to do was build Brock up to be something that is unstoppable again. Um, we haven't seen him be that dominant since really Roman Reigns. Um, and I say that because Roman Reigns is that type of build that if he went up against Brock Lesnar, um, it's believed that he could stop him. It's the same thing with Drew McIntyre. Drew McIntyre needs to be put over and he's getting put over in the biggest way. How? He found the biggest, baddest dude in the yard, kicked his face, knocked him out of the Royal Rumble, and now he calls out Brock Lesnar, the guy who's unstoppable. And there's only one person who can beat Brock Lesnar, and that's Drew McIntyre, and that's believable. So we needed Brock Lesnar to be dominant until Drew McIntyre got into the ring. Not only did it set up the WrestleMania match between the two, but it actually catapulted Drew McIntyre because now he's going to be a beloved fan favorite. And I'm super happy to see that match um, at WrestleMania. Uh, it could, it could also, um, it could also make us believe that Drew McIntyre will beat him uh, for sure, because Brock's held the title for years now. On and off. He always gets the title back. Um, the one person who can take the title from him and keep him off him, definitely Drew McIntyre. This is definitely something you want to look forward to in April. Brock is best for business. He puts people over, and he's going to put Drew McIntyre over at WrestleMania. And other facts about the Royal Rumble that made it memorable was the return of the modern era. This idea that Edge um, has his retirement speech. And, you know, I was there when, you know, he had the triple fusion neck surgery. Uh, he was forced to retire and told he would never be able to wrestle again. That if he did wrestle again, it could be his last. Um, a lot of buzz was getting generated around the Royal Rumble that Edge would return. Um, myself included, I didn't believe it because when the doctor tells you that it's time to hang up the boots, um, most wrestlers hang up the boots and edge did for a while, but you know, when you love the business as much as edge does, and you could tell he does, it's this idea that, you know, you don't want to stop. So he looked for an alternative method and, um, edge returns at the Royal rumble shocks everybody. Um, and this was really cool because as a fan of edge and he was one of my favorite wrestlers, um, growing up. Um, in the John Cena, Randy Orton era, the two people I really liked was Randy Orton and Edge. And, um, you know, he returns to the Royal Rumble. Uh, he survives to the final three, uh, receives an emotional welcome back. Uh, people are leaping out of their seats. People are shocked. People are covering their faces. Some people were crying in the, in the arena, which, you know, it's very emotional to see somebody who was told that they were never coming back, be able to return. And, you know, it, it only continued the next night until Monday Night Raw, where, um, you know, they hype him up to coming back, Edge, um, 
is played every commercial um, you see the Royal Rumble appearance. Uh, and Raw, for the most part, was just okay up until the end of the show. And this is what's important about storytelling, right? A lot of people were trashing the segment between Randy Orton and Edge, but the people that trashed the Monday Night Raw segment between Randy Orton and Edge know nothing about wrestling. And I say that because they, they still think that Brock doesn't put people over. They still think that Randy Orton um, is you know, not better as a heel, People don't remember Legend Killer Randy Orton. And for the first time, we see Randy Orton come back to his old heel ways. The non-PG heel type of thing. Where he made a career off ending the legacy of all of the heroes of the wrestling business. All of the legends. Randy Orton comes back. He embraces Edge. Being close friends with him uh, as a tag team being um, people who wrestled since he started. You know, Edge was there before Randy Orton. And then you have this idea where they embrace, welcome back, bud. You know, we need to get back together. We need to get the band back back together for one more night. Rated RKO, let's do it. Edge, excited for the prospect, uh, feeling the heat from last night. Totally once in, but in typical heel fashion, Randy Orton turns heel. RKO's Edge, and Edge sells this. Edge not only gives a perfect promo, which is something we don't see in this business too much anymore, unless you watch NXT or AEW. Let's be honest. Edge gives a, a perfect promo, and a lot of people um, are upset with that heel turn, but in truth, if you're a wrestling fan you would realize that the best promo that Randy Orton has had in, in years was uh, this past Monday night with Edge. Why? Why is this great? Why is this so good? Edge 100%, 100% sold that angle. He is an actor. He has been taking acting classes ever since he retired. He's been on show after show, and it shows here. Edge works um, a wide-eyed um, look as he's surprised he's been betrayed. He's shaking. His hand is shaking, um, suggesting that he's getting injured once more, or that his injury has been, um, you know, procced with this ruthless attack, right? He's crying for help. He's crawling, twitching, trying to get away, and... If anybody is an Edge fan, which a lot of people are, on top of the knowledge that he has neck surgery and introducing him as a person who has neck surgery, Randy Orton is selling better than he has in years. And it created a shock factor. Together, they sat, uh, set an illusion that WWE is not fake, or uh, that even though WWE is fake, that what is happening looks real. Right. People forget that this is, you know, acting here, essentially. Right. It looks real. It's sold real. Together, they set aside that illusion that um, things were real and people responded to it. They turned on Randy instantly, booing him. You suck, Chance. People 
were covering their faces in horror. This all sets up a perfect WrestleMania return for Edge versus Randy Orton. And who better, seriously, who better to work with a returning Edge than Randy Orton? Somebody who has been in this business for years. Somebody who is known for not hurting people. Someone who can protect Edge, right? Randy Orton is the best opponent for Edge Edge, because it keeps him off TV until April and protects him. Edge signed the deal with the company, and it's similar to Brock Lesnar. It's similar to Brock Lesnar. He's only required to be a part of certain pay-per-view shows and certain segments. Um, and that's the perfect schedule or seg- uh, schedule for somebody like Edge who's returning from a neck injury like that. Nobody knows how long this return will last. And a lighter schedule will prolong a return like that for somebody like Edge. It's the perfect schedule. It's the perfect cover. Randy Orton reverts to his heel ways, puts Edge over in a big way. People are going to be wanting to see Edge return. And when he does return, the roof's going to blow off the place. So the perfect person to work with Randy um, is Edge. Randy does, um, like I said, does not have a history of hurting people. Um, it, it should be a really cool feud. If anybody has seen any Edge versus Randy Orton matches when they split up, um, you're in for a treat. It will be a classic feud, revisited, and it will educate young fans on good story- storytelling and good promos because both of them are fantastic on the mic. And I think they're going to give us a good look at what wrestling used to be like. Um, moving on from the Royal Rumble, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Worlds Collide. It was essentially NXT TakeOver um, with both the UK brand and the NXT brand itself. Um, it was a great show with a lot of great matches. And of course, I'm not going to spend as long as I did on the Royal Rumble because there was so much to say about the Royal Rumble. But I will say that Imperium versus Undisputed Era, it was an instant classic. If you did not see it, go spend nine bucks or ten bucks or whatever it is for the WWE app now and um, watch it. And then if you don't have an account with WWE, it's free for a first subscriber. But um, Imperium versus Undisputed Era was fantastic. And um, those two factions went at it hard. Imperium got the the victory. In my eyes, um, it was one of the matches of the night. But um, if you're going to talk matches of the night, match of the night, surprise, surprise, goes to Mustache Mountain versus DIY. Um, The the first time I actually did an over-the-top rope segment was talking about um, you know, basically, uh, WWE NXT UK, um, and how much that, um, pay-per-view was fantastic because of Tyler Bate. Now Tyler Bate never, um, lets anybody down and Tyler Bate, um, in mustache mountain, um, Refaced a returning Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa as DIY. Um, it was a match that we will never see again. It was a match that we have always wanted. 
And um, it was a really cool match. The two of them went back and forth. Um, they stole the show. I mean, let's be completely honest. Um, of course, you know, you had title changes. Jordan Devlin retained or uh, became the new cruiserweight champion. But um, really nothing happened um, in World's Clyde that would really affect the landscape aside from those three matches. Um, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, you had Tony Storm versus um, Rhea Ripley, and that was a great match. Um, but we all knew Rhea Ripley was going to retain. She just won the championship. Um, Tony Storm, excellent performer. Um, huge fan of Tony Storm, but um, I got to give it to DIY and Mustache Mountain and Imperium and Undisputed Era. And what are you going to do? They're, they're the main events. Uh, <laughs> really, I mean, they're the ones that take the show. Um, going forward, um, I expect WrestleMania to be a huge show. Um, definitely going to do predictions for it. Um, I think that there's a lot that still can happen that is going to happen. Um, if history proves right, then the next big pay-per-view will really be Elimination Chamber, um, which is like the last stop to WrestleMania and usually takes place in March. Um, it's going to be really cool. Um, WrestleMania season, I look forward to. Um, definitely something I hope you guys would like to tune into. Um, but yeah, that's over the top for this week. You know, the other thing is that, you know, you had AEW and AEW was just a regular show. <laughs> you know, nothing much happened. And, you know, next week, I think more is going to happen. Um, especially with Cody Rhodes expected to take 10 lashes on live TV. I, I definitely want to see what they're going to do with that. Um, for those of you that are unfamiliar with the, the um, Cody Rhodes and MGF situation, MGF betrayed Cody Rhodes at the latest pay-per-view um, basically cost Cody Rhodes, the um, championship and any other opportunity at the AEW championship against Chris Jericho or any other champion. And MGF um, basic uh, betrayed, low blowed Cody Rhodes, and now is um, attempting to outshadow Cody Rhodes to get rid of Cody Rhodes. And Cody has been looking to get revenge on MGF, and for weeks now he's been dodging him until he came on and gave his demands. He's not allowed to touch him into the next pay per view. He has to get into a steel cage with Warlow, his bodyguard, and. He's got to take 10 lashes from Cody on live TV on Dynamite, which takes place next week. Those were his demands. Those are the demands that Cody accepted. Um, it'll be interesting to sort of see how that plays out and um, where the feud plays out. I definitely don't think MGF is going to lose this match. I think that it's going to definitely be an MGF victory coming up in the next pay-per-view, and that's going to continue the MGF and Cody feud. But that's... This week in wrestling, this was the Over the Top Rope segment. See you guys next week. All right, and welcome back, guys. Um, we're talking Witcher with Alec. And uh, what we're going to be doing for this segment is talking about Season 2 or the, any potential uh, season uh, excitements coming our way, um, what we can expect, um, who we might be able to see in the next season. Um, so Alec, would you like to start us off? What do you think is going to happen in season two? I think that season two, um, well, 
it's it's either going to hit the second batch of short stories or it's going to go straight into the novel. Can I talk about the first novel for a quick minute? Yeah, go for it. The first chapter of the novel, Witcher, Blood of Elves, begins in the fall of Sintra with Geralt saving Ciri um, and bringing her, and he saves Ciri from the fall of Sintra, her home. And, and basically the opening passages are all about how she's on a, she's on a horse um, with a rider and she's seeing all this destruction around her and all this fire. So it's a little bit different. She's much younger in the books. Geralt saves her from the city, not outside the city in the forest as the show depicts it. But the show, the first season ends right where the first book picks up. And what happens next is he brings her to Care Morin. So for, I'll start us off by saying, I think the first thing we're going to see in season two is Care Morin, which is mm. very important to both of us. Yeah, absolutely. And especially with who's expressed interest in playing um, characters in Mark uh, Hamill. Mark Hamill, dude, I could totally see him um, mm-hmm. in The Witcher, and yeah, I've already seen him um, <coughs> take that grisly look in um, one of the other shows that I'm watching. It's about the Knights Templar, uh-huh. and he's phenomenal in that. So I could oh, yeah. totally see him, um, him, him playing another Witcher, a seasoned Witcher at that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. He'll be our boy, uh, Vesemir. That'd be awesome. Um, I would, I would absolutely just you know, keel over if I saw Mark Hamill as Vesemir. I think it would be perfect casting. But um my next choice would be Danny DeVito. So Danny DeVito. <laughs> yeah, well, you know. Yeah, you know. I mean, I'm just saying if if you want me to be honest here. But yeah, um so yeah, I think that uh Karen Morin is just this legendary spot from the Witcher lore. Um, it's the home of the Witcher's School of the Wolf, which is the school that trains Geralt. It's this mighty, mighty fortress, but it's worn down. It's being refurbished by literally five Witchers who appear in four, actually. What now? What am I talking about? It's be, it's basically a once mighty fortress that's now being replenished by four, um, you know, humble Witchers, and they basically have this entire castle to themselves, which is where they spend the winters and keep themselves warm and safe and off hunt. Um, and it really is a symbol. Like, you know, the witchers are kind of like the doctor from Doctor Who, where he goes out and explores the universe for years and years at a time, but he usually has either A, Gallifrey, or B, Earth to come home to. That's the witchers with Kaer Morin. They go out and they they don't, you know, keep in communication with each other. They, they, they scour the world and they just take out monsters everywhere. But when, but when the time comes, they do eventually assemble at Kaer Morin and that's basically the only family that any of them really know yeah yeah and I always did like the chemistry between um the four witchers that were there you know mm-hmm. yep um and especially Lambert I really oh yeah Lambert. I was just I was just thinking of Lambert well Lambert is a really good contrast to Geralt Geralt is very um you know he's very level-headed like you said he's level-headed and heroic and, you know, he's very, you know, mature and he usually knows what to do, even though he makes a reckless choice here and there. Lambert is basically Anakin Skywalker. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's pissed off about the circumstances of his creation and the life that he, he's been thrust into. And he's just snarky with everybody and, you know, kind of impossible to be around sometimes. But it leads to just some great, you know, back and forths between him and Geralt. And like, you know, it's an important character in the mythology because 
you see how Geralt handles being a witcher, but then you hear Lambert's story and you're like, Ooh, like the way some witches are created, it actually is kind of brutal and upsetting. And, you know, we could actually look at these guys as, as um, villainous in a way, you know, if, if we look from a certain point of view. Um, so that's one thing. And then you have, so you mentioned earlier how Jaskier kind of fought, carried the show because he, um, he was the only positive interaction. You know, he was, he was a much needed comic relief. He spiced things up. He made it likable. I think we're going to get more of that now. Yeah, it's very possible that you can get more of that now, especially with Lambert, because Lambert mm-hmm. has that, like you said, he's more of a he he hates hates his condition, he hates he hates the society that has created him. So the order, I can yeah. provide a little bit of um, <laughs> excitement on the Karen yeah. Mooring, and especially how he might interact with him, and not just Lambert, but also Triss will be coming in because this is around the time in the books where we start the love triangle where Geralt is still chasing after Yennefer because of this wish, but he also has very natural feelings for Triss Marigold, who comes in around this time. And also Geralt develops fatherly affection for Ciri, and also Triss comes in and becomes a mentor to Ciri as well. So what's really going to happen is that there actually is, you might not get this from the first season of Witcher followers, but there actually is a very, you know, complex and interesting and organic chemistry between this core group of characters. And it comes out beautifully in the game. And I think season two is where we're really going to start to see that. And things are definitely going to spice up a bit from there. For sure, especially since Yennefer has already been introduced to the fact that this witch has occurred. Absolutely. Yep. I was surprised that they dropped it as early as they did. Mm-hmm. I thought that they would have dragged that out a little bit longer. Um, but I guess with how the, they decided to end the show, it made total total sense. Uh-huh. Because pretty much you see all these witches just get decimated. Yep. And the only one we know that lived is, you know, Yennefer and, of course, Triss, because, you know, <laughs> Yennefer is not gone. We'll, we'll, oh, we'll, no. Let's just put it out there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's not it's not a spoiler if it's obvious. <laughs> Yeah, you, you can't have Siri without having Jennifer first, so. Oh, yeah. Did you read that first book I gave you? I did. I liked it. I really did. Oh, yeah. So you know what, what's coming. You know yeah. what, what path Siri eventually takes. And that's probably not going to be until the ending of season two, I would. Hmm. Actually, it could be a little bit sooner than the ending. We'll see what happens. But yeah, eventually Jennifer and Siri become major characters in one another's story arcs. Mm-hmm. and um you know it's it's definitely uh going to be interesting you know there's a reason like you're saying that in season one th- they are introduced as such pivotal characters that is going to continue in ways the viewers might not expect absolutely and you know um with that in <laughs> mind what is going to be the state of the witches uh the the witches going forward in season two because like you said we saw a good majority of them get wasted and you know, um, well, you know, sacrifice themselves for yeah. um, for this um, purpose because you know, with the invasion and all, and we also saw one of them betray the coven. So yeah, well, I know that um, 
the lodge does exist in the novels and it does exist in the games as well. Although there's only like three or four witches who are still around to be a part of it. Um, so we'll see a couple of um, characters. I'm really interested to see Philippa Eilhart who uh, has some pretty boss scenes in the game. If you, if you, uh, you know, choose the right missions and you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. there's, there's one scene in particular where it's like, Oh boy, you know, messed with the wrong witch, but, uh, <laughs> but, and see but, the thing that uh, our listeners don't understand is she's blind because yes. of an accident. And, um, you know, she's like the most powerful witch essentially yeah. of the group. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, we, so, I mean, assuming they're following the lore of the game, I don't know. I haven't read all of the books, so I, I don't know about the future of the books exactly, but assuming that they're following the lore of the game, we're looking at a small group of witches from the lodge, um, much like the witchers at Care Moore and, you know, the school of the wolf and the lodge of sorceresses are in similar condition. They just have a few members left, but those members really do stand out. I would like to see a little bit more, um, a little bit more monster hunting, and a me little too. bit more monster recognition. Yeah, me too. Um, because I didn't think that, as much as they did have monsters, I felt like there were some monsters that I really wanted to see that we didn't. There's so like the many. There's so many monsters in Witcher. Like I feel like it's you know, the monsters are rarer in the books than they are by in the game the game spoils us with monsters it really does because we get a treasure trove of creatures that we just we hunt endlessly Mm -hmm. um and so i don't know how many of them we're gonna see in season two but but i definitely think that we will see at least a small handful of awesome creatures coming up next yeah absolutely um i i would totally like to see um there is a story i can't remember which character it was um, but it was a wolf that was basically immortal. And that was in that was in um, Skellige on yeah. um, on um, Hinder's Fall, the the north uh, eastern island of Skellige. And um, I'm trying to remember his name, but yes, he was cursed and he became a wolf. But he was cursed to live forever. That was a fun one. Yeah, I mean, it's like the whole game. You're trying to figure out how to cure this guy, and mm-hmm. you have to do all these things before <laughs> you finally can. Yep. Um, but yeah, I would love to see that maybe not in season two, but in some point in the future when we actually do get the Skellige. Yeah, that would be interesting. I don't know if we're ever really going to see the side quest monsters cause it's super cool, but it is a side quest. So I don't know if they're going to fit that in or not, but it'd be cool if they did for sure. Um, the other thing I would like to see are the hags. I know we yeah. haven't seen that in a while probably, but uh-huh. I would like to see the hags. Now, wait, are you talking about like the water hags or are you talking about the crones? Well, the, I, I would like to see both, actually. Yeah, like the crones of Crookback Bog, who yeah. are major characters in the game. And then the hags are just various, you know, water hags or swamp hags or dirt hags or whatever. Yeah, but they look yeah. freaking cool. They do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can definitely see some hags because, you know, that can just be a monster fight, a random one. You know what I mean? That could fit in anywhere. Something like um, the beginning of the of the series where you had that monster. Totally, there. totally. That would that'd be that'd be totally easy. Um, and uh, you know, I really didn't recognize uh, the creature from the very first scene of The Witcher. Um, there are 
spider-like creatures in Witcher called Entregas. Mm. That didn't seem like an Entrega to me, though. And it didn't even seem like, you know, like a Lord of the Rings type spider. It was just kind of a big... It, it looked like a, a freaking Dark Souls monster, didn't it? Yeah, it really did. Like I was trying, like it was a, it's a, it's a great scene. Don't get me wrong. That opening scene for me just perfectly nailed the entire concept of the show, and I loved it. But there was another part of me staring at it, being the Witcher buff that I am, and I was just like, I can't figure out what monster that is. <laughs> I got I to scroll through my monster book for like yeah. twenty minutes trying was- to figure out which monster this is. Yeah, I'm like, you know, so. So I don't know, yeah, but I could tell you the other thing I do want to see. Uh huh. I want to see more signs. Oh yeah, we'll see more signs. I know Henry Cavill was begging them to to put more signs in, and they yeah. felt like they didn't have to uh-huh. for the first season. But right. like, really, the only sign we really see is Ard. Right. Right. And there's so many other things that they could do with with those scenes, you know. Yeah, yard and the the uh, mansion fight with the um with that uh, fiendish creature. I'm just, the name escapes me, but that would have been probably a great um scene for the yard sign, I would think. Um, so that was a missed opportunity there. Um, but I think that they're they're going to be training Siri to become a Witcher early in this next season. That right there might be a great opportunity to see more signs because she's going to have to learn them. Yeah, but like for me as a as a, uh, a Witcher fan, I understand why they didn't do it because they don't want to give everything all at once. Yeah. Um, but I totally like was confused at times where he found himself on, on the wrong end of a fight and he didn't use uh, Quen right to protect himself. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it would have been cool. Like even if they did it subtly, we could have seen like a sword stab him and like break into pieces against Quen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that. That might have been super cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah to have right. a nice giant spear protect you, or yeah, even like for your skin to glow. You know, right, right. To show that you have that protective spell on you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would love to see more signs. I know that he really wants to do the add in by he. I mean Henry Cavill, but yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would like to see that. I would like to see more monsters. And um, believe it or not, I probably really want to see uh, Gwent. Yeah, Gwent would be fun. I Even feel if like it's if, subtle. I feel like if they show us Gwent, it would definitely be subtle. Like you'll see somebody playing it and making mention of it, but I don't see a lot of time being committed to it. I don't know. Oh, yeah. I, I could be wrong, but but yeah, that'd be super cool. And I, can I throw in one thing that I want to see? Sure. Um, so early in, early in the second book in the series, spoiler warning, um, in the second novel, after the one I gave you, like we're talking like no more than five chapters into the book, Siri, um, has a traumatic experience with a certain pursuer. If you catch my drift, that happens way early in the second book. Hmm. Um, you you know the pursuer or pursuers that I referred to, of course. Right. Um, so there's potential we could see our our uh, boys, the Wild Hunt, in a uh, season two. What do you think of that? <laughs> I think that would be very ambitious. I think mm-hmm. I think if we see the Wild Hunt, it will be towards the end mm-hmm. as an introduction to them. Sure. 
or have it like work up to to them i don't think that it's going to be resolved if they no no absolutely not well like i said it's the beginning of the second book when they first chase her and fail to catch her that's so we got a whole book to go through still before we get to that scene so you're absolutely right that could be what season two chooses to end on yeah absolutely i could totally see it as, as that first that first glimpse of an oncoming you know larger problem yeah i would i would like to see that episode for sure that's a great scene in the books like there's a storm the sky lights up with lightning you know the dimensional rift opens and they come out of the sky and she narrowly escapes and eridan himself speaks to her from the other side of the cliff it's it's a lot like the scene in lord of the rings where frodo escapes the nazgul it really is Um, You can see the parallels, you know, because, you know, all fantasy, you know, somehow dates back to Tolkien eventually. You know what I mean? But um, but yeah, like that, that's a good scene in the Witcher novels. So I'm thinking we're going to see that. Well, I mean, if we see Aradin, they better give him a darn personality. Oh, I agree. I was shocked at how little personality he had in the video game. I was I was just shocked and I couldn't believe that they actually had the nerve to give him this line of dialogue. The king is dead. Long live the king. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. of, of all the things you, in, in 2015, this game came out. I'm like, of all the lines you could have said, I think that might've actually been the most wooden and cliche. How honestly, on earth did you manage that? <laughs> honestly, uh, when I think of Arid and I think of the Night King. No oh, character development. He yeah. just wears his big bad. He shows up. He has more lines yeah. than, the, than the the witch, or not the witch king, cheese, um, than the the, the um, night king. But you know, it, he just shows up, serves his purpose, and then he's gone. He might have less lines than the witch king of Agmar. Who Aradin? Like, like, Absolutely, he does. Like, yeah, like, like it, it, you, you originally said that as an error, but while we're on the subject of Ringwraith, he actually speaks a fair bit more than either of these two jokers in Lord of the Rings. It's like, come on, <laughs> come on, guys. But you know what? The Witch King of Agmar, like, when he spoke, you, you listened. Yes. That was the thing. He didn't need to speak much. Yeah. But, you know, you need to at least have some character development. And, like, the character development for the Witch King was there. Everybody knew who the Witch King was to some degree. You know, Gandalf would tell them. Aragorn would tell them. You know, it was was evident. With Aradin, we really don't know anything about Aradin other than he's, you know, the king of the wild hunt, so to speak. He's just that nagging personality. Well, it's it's funny. Well, it's funny you say that because we do actually know a little bit about his motivation and a little bit about the history of the Wild Hunt and the history of, you know, how they design their armor and distort their voices to scare people and how they lead their, um, you know, how they're called the um, Red Riders and they they hunt for slaves to bring back to their to their um, kingdom. And they're afraid of this thing called the White Frost. We actually know all of those things, but you find them in the journals in the game, right? In the, in the journals and biographies, like you don't get it in the story dialogue is what I, where I think the problem is. But see, that's where I don't count it because yeah. unless you're a fan or you're a completionist right. or you're interested in just reading, you're not going to know. Right. 
absolutely. Yeah. No, I agree with you 100%. And I hope that they, you know, they recognize that and they really give us, you know, some insight into the characters. Like, like we were saying with Geralt and Dandelion, you know, it would be totally boring if we were just watching the Witcher skulk around and slice things up. And that's how the wild hunt tends to be portrayed. It's, it's the introduction of the Dandelion character that relates to the audience. So it would be great if they could find a way to relate the villains to the audience more than fantasy villains traditionally do because that would just be refreshing and and new to me i don't know you know maybe nobody else is asking for this i don't know honestly (laughs) what i would like to see if they're going to do something like that i would like to see everybody all happy in like a tavern you know they're all excited they have siri and she's doing well and then all of a sudden things go cold yep next thing you know you get attacked yep Oh, yeah. I would like to see it like that. It has to be introduced. Right. It has to be something narrowly escape. And right. it's like, holy crap, what was that? Right. You know? Right. Right. It has to be compelling. It has to be it has to be disruptive and frightening. And you have to feel what the characters feel to justify this, you know, thing that they're all afraid of. Well, the problem with the wild hunt in a game is that they don't appear. Right. Until the very end. Right. Really. And then when they do appear, it's like, all right, these are these big bad characters, right? And hey, um, by the way, I did all the side quests, so now I'm twenty levels above Arid, and he's right. a joke. I three, right? <laughs> right. Well, that's the thing too, is that in the game you are able to do that, but in the show, that's not how it's going to be. In the well, show, no, absolutely yeah, not. In the show, you're going to see the characters struggle a lot more with this issue, you know. And I think it should be a constant thing. And I know that I've beaten this uh, topic over the head. Um, And, you know, of course, I'm referring to why I loved Resident Evil 2 Remake and why I'm going to love Resident Evil 3 Remake with with the tyrant, you know, Mr. X. What made Mr. X so intimidating and why, you know, he was so um, fun to play, you know, play around with, was that he, once he got introduced to the game, he completely would keep stalking you. No matter oh, yeah. where you went, he followed you. And it's like, yeah, of course you have like a safe room here and there, but you know what he does? He camps that door and he'll camp it hard until you come out. So it's oh, yeah. like, I oh, yeah. want to see that type right. of fear and that right. type of complexity in um, in the wild hunt. I right. want you want right. stalking Geralt throughout this entire season right. and ha- them have the no choice but to run. Right. You want to feel it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the, that, that's the big difference. Like any story can tell you this is bad. These forces are coming. You have to run away. But what audiences really want is to feel it with how immersive, you know, cinema has become, you know, they want to be like transported to that moment and really walk away with chills. 100%. And I feel like yeah. if, if as long as they do that, I feel like Witcher could be a very successful show. Absolutely. But they need to keep on that. And I think they need to order more episodes because 10 is definitely not enough. Eight. Oh, yeah, it was eight. Yeah. Like, but I mean, like, typically yeah. with, with um, Netflix shows, you get like mm-hmm. 10 or 14. Yeah. But keep in mind that each I actually did the math. Each of these eight episodes was about 60 minutes long. One of them was actually like 64 minutes long. 
So um, it wasn't game, enough, though, dude. It wasn't but, but enough. The, I but wanted the, more. But, but the thing <laughs> is, is that if uh, just to compare it to Game of Thrones, they would always do 10 episodes, about 45 to 50 minutes. So the math actually does even out. Um, in term, it's, I think it's more an issue of how they fill their content, like how they fill those episodes. And, you know, um, you know, it's kind of like word choice in a story. You know, it's not about more words. It's about the right words. It's not about more episodes and more minutes necessarily. It's about really nailing the episodes that they have and showing us a lot of these things that we're talking about, you know, that's, that's just how I see it. All right. And with that, um, we're going to take another break. When we come back, Alec will be uh, jumping back into the hot seat. Mm-hmm. Buying a used car? Make sure previous owner isn't included. Transporter of Souls by Tammy Vreeland. Get it now at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. Sometimes the dead don't rest. (laughs) Are you an author, poet, artist, or gamer? Do you have something to promote? Would you like to reach online viewers completely free of charge? Alec Pangea's Drop-A-Line is a live stream for you. Drop-A-Line streams through Instagram Live featuring Alec and you. Come on Drop-A-Line for a casual live chat where you could spend up to 45 minutes promoting your book, game, website, company, and more. Drop-A-Line has already featured guests phoning in from countries overseas and viewership is growing day by day. Alex's dream is to network with as many talented artists as possible and see their shared following grow exponentially. Dropaline is committed to that goal, and you could be his next guest. Dropaline streams Thursdays at 9 p.m. on Instagram Live. To get in on Dropaline, follow him at Alec Pangea Author on Instagram to schedule your spot. Drop a line is a really awesome uh, promotional tool. Um, I've been on it several times. It's done wonders for my writing career. I know it's actually helped a lot of people um, with their own projects. So if you're looking for some way to promote your business, drop a line is the place for you. And welcome back to another edition of the hot seat. Alec is back. He avoided it for two weeks, but uh, now he's back. And uh, how you feeling? I feel like I'm on fire. Oh, here we go. Geralt or the Witch King? Geralt. Triss or Yen? Triss. Siri or Frodo? Siri. Aridin or Aridin? What? <laughs> um, um, Sauron. I wanted to try to get you to say Arid in on there, man. No. Nope. Quick thinking there. Yep. Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt, or The Witcher TV show? 
Uh, Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt. Henry Cavill or the video game Geralt? <sighs> video game Geralt. Philippa Iheart or Trish Marigold? Trish Marigold. The games or the TV show? The games. If you could be one Witcher character, who would you be and why? Roach. Roach? Absolutely. Why Why would you be Roach? Um, because Roach is the bomb. And he, you know, he sees all the action with none of the consequence. Silver sword or a steel sword? Uh, hmm, <laughs> steel sword. Quen or Yarden? Quen. Igni or Axie? Igni. And that is, does it for our special Witcher version of the hot seat. Alec has survived yet another show. Woohoo! <laughs> so, uh, Alec, what can we do to follow you? What do you, what, do you have anything planned? Anything you're going to be doing that you want to t- uh, bring attention to? Well, Mr. Uh, Podcaster, you are going to be on my show, Drop a Line, tomorrow at our shared Instagram handle, One True Promotion, for a special episode of Drop a Line at One True Promotion on Instagram. So, folks, be sure to go to Instagram and like One True Promotion to catch the two of us live again tomorrow on Instagram. Meanwhile, you can follow me on Instagram at Alec Pangea Author, all one word. Um, Twitter, A Pangea Author. All one word, capital A-P-A. And at Facebook, Alec Pangea. Awesome. And uh, I'm sure Alec will be back next week. And we're we're probably going to be talking uh, everything crisis uh, review. Um, I finished crisis. I'm excited to talk about it. And I know I am going to be tuning into um, the end of Arrow, watching the last two episodes. And I would definitely give my opinion on that, too. And um, sort of what we can we expect from the Arrowverse going forward. So with that said, um, Alec and I want to thank you for coming out to the special edition of Talk is Best. You guys rock. Talk the Witcher. You guys are awesome. And have a good night. Talk is Best is sponsored by One True Promotion. If you like what you see, Subscribe to Talk is Best through the Anchor app. And while you're there, check out our record a message function where you can actually record a message and get that broadcasted on the show.